All right, well, good morning. Welcome to everyone who's joining us. Those of you I've already said hi to online, it's great that you're here with us. Uh, everyone here at the Sprecher Road campus, you slid in here very nicely today, hopefully without any fender benders or anything like that. Everyone up in DeForest, big shout out to you and a big virtual hug to all of my brothers and sisters across the way at the chapel. Uh, great to be here together. We're going to be getting into Acts chapter 16. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and start turning there. Acts chapter 16. We're going to be covering a lot in there today. If you don't have a Bible, at all of our campuses, this is true at the DeForest campus as well, we have Bibles in the back. Go ahead and get up, take one, and then take it home. It's our gift to you, a part of uh, just the value of getting into the word together. Of course, if you need to use your phone or whatever, that's totally fine. No one's gonna, no one's gonna bat an eye. Uh, so uh, we're talking about cities today. We're talking about cities in Acts chapter 16. It's interesting because I meet a lot of people as a pastor, and one of the most telling things, like one of the most important things about people, is actually how they relate to the city. How they relate to the city. So you woke up this morning. And you got out of bed and you looked out some window of your domicile, whether it's an apartment or house or, or whatever. What did you see? What did you see? So, some of, well, snow. Everyone's like, snow, right? Yeah. And I was like, what in the world? Yeah, you saw snow, of course, unless you're joining us online from Florida or something. We're not jealous of you at all. Um, but everyone else, you, you looked out your window and you saw some, some setting. You know, for some of us, it was a, a cornfield right? Uh, for some of us, it was maybe a barn or you saw a silo, uh, the very, very common thing uh, around this part of the Midwest. Some of us, you saw a busy street. Some of you uh, saw, you know, cars. Uh, some of you looked down from, you know, a, whatever floor you were in your apartment building and you saw the street below. And the way we relate to cities is very telling. It tells a lot about us. Uh, something really interesting happened in 2007. Uh, a lot of us, uh, during that summer of 2007, we were busy creating our first uh, profile pictures on this weird thing called Facebook, which we, we thought was going to be a trend and die away, and well, maybe it is. The jury's still out. Uh, and, and during that summer, something happened for the first time in human history. What happened was... Uh, from that point on, more people across the planet have been living um, in rural areas were now living in cities. So in other words, over 51%, the, the scale tipped and more people were living in cities of more than 100,000 people than ever before in human history. Think about that. And the trajectory has not slowed down. In fact, what every researcher will say is the future of the human race is in the city. Uh, people who know what they're talking about say that by the, by the time our grandkids, so the kids that are in our like, nursery and preschool room, by the time they grow up and have their own kids, uh, there are going to be about 10 billion people on the planet and 8.5 billion of them are going to live in cities, 85%. The future of our race is in cities. 7,000 people, I'm not making this stuff up, you can Google it. 7,000 people move into cities every hour across our planet. That's the equivalent of a new San Francisco being born every single month. 
there, in fact, I want to show you this picture of this, this region, not just a city, but a region that sociologists are now calling Boswatch. It's a 500-mile stretch of pure city that stretches from Boston to Washington, D.C. It's home to 50 million people. Uh, the same thing is happening all over the world. We could show you Africa. I want to show you Beijing. So Beijing is becoming what sociologists are calling a megalopolis. I know, it's a ridiculous word. Sounds like it comes from Sesame Street, but it's real. It's where cities get so big they merge together. And Beijing, they're saying by 2030, just a few years from now, is going to be home to 130 million people. And so many of you are like, I am so glad I live in Madison where that's not happening because the line at Culver's is long enough, right? And you can't imagine the belt line with 130 million people all trying to cut you off as you go to Culver's. And, but here's the deal. If you've been paying attention, you know that this is happening here too. Different scale, but it's happening. Over the past 10 years, uh, our county has grown by 70,000 people. Whether you are in Madison or Middleton or McFarland or way up in Morrisonville, you've seen this. You've seen this. The future of the world is in the city. Now, is this a good thing or a bad thing? A lot of us, depending on how we were raised, will say it's a, it's a great thing because the more people move into cities, the better education gets, the better art gets, the better health care gets, and that is all true. But there are a lot of us who also go, well, that's actually a bad thing because cities are, they mean pollution, crime, and poverty, right? So is it good or bad? And the way we relate to this says a lot about us, and, and I would guess that if, if we were to sit down and have coffee and just talk about how you feel when you think about cities and you think about the future of cities, uh, you probably would fall into one of four categories, and, and here they are. So I've just made these up, but I think they're helpful. I think they're helpful. If you're a note taker, go ahead and take notes. This is, this is better than average, okay? <laughs> totally kidding. Um, uh, Totally kidding. I'm so sorry. Uh, so so four, four C's, because I'm a pastor, and it all has to line up like that. So the first C is, is commuters. And you think uh, commuters are those people who live in a bedroom community, and they drive into the city. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a part of it. But when I say commuters, what I mean are people who, who see cities as a, as a place they need to go because of some opportunity. Uh, so you, whether you live in a city or you drive into the city, you're there for school, you're there for your job, you're there for whatever the opportunity is, and then you're out, right? And, and basically, uh, commuters are kind of indifferent. They don't hate cities. They don't really love cities. They're unaware of the, a lot of the problems. They're out of touch with the people. Uh, they're not involved in the politics. That's commuters. Uh, there's another group that is in every single city, and it's this group that I'll just call the clingers. These are people who are clinging on for dear life. Uh, it's people who uh, are the fry cooks who make your fast food. It's the people who greet you with a smile when you walk into Walmart. It, often it's people caught in this kind of cycle of poverty or, or addiction, and they, they absolutely are clinging for dear life to the systems of the city. So we've got commuters and clingers. Then we have um, my personal favorite, because I'm, <clears throat> I'm married to one, uh, what I just call the crunchy critic. <laughs> You know who you are, right? 
Uh, to you, uh, to you, and I, I love my wife, uh, cities are kind of like a necessary evil. Yeah, there's some good things about them, but wouldn't it be great if we could all just move on to a hobby farm and milk goats and raise chickens and like make sourdough uh, all day? Wouldn't that be great? And crunchy critics tend, tend to uh, have to fight the temptation to j- basically abandon the city. Uh, and then there's uh, the fourth group, which is what I would just call the consumers. Now, consumers say, I love the city, and you believe you love the city, but when you actually look at what that means, it tends to mean that you love what you get from the city. Uh, uh, Consumers of cities, they love the art, the food, the culture, the energy, uh, but they're not in touch with the problems. The love isn't the kind of self-sacrificing love of Jesus. So you've got these four groups. The commuters, the clingers, the crunchy critics, and the consumers. But here's what Jesus invites us to, and this is what this message is all about. He invites us to a completely different way of relating to our cities. Not as, not, um, as commuters or as, uh, I can't even remember what they all are, as clingers or as uh, critics or consumers, but as cultivators. Jesus invites us to become cultivators of the city. Not like to have a deep sense of love, to be aware of the good things and also the complexity of the problems, to be prayerful for our cities, to be self-sacrificing, to care about its systems as well as its people, to be cultivators. Here's here's what's very important. You cannot read the Bible for very long without being confronted by the fact that God loves cities, not just people. Everybody knows God loves people. We even have a song. Jesus loves me, this I know. DeForest, I know you know it. For the Bible tells me so, we know that. But 3,000 times, you guys, in the Bible, 3,000 times, the Bible talks about cities, more than 3,000 times. And just for perspective, that is more than the Bible talks about heaven, hell, angels, the devil, faith, hope, and love combined. God loves cities. Uh, The the story of the the Bible, the story of the world that the Bible is telling is that God created a world that starts in a garden and ends not in some ethereal cloudscape, but in a healthy, vibrant, beautiful city. Uh, The city of God, the city of Zion. Hebrews 11, it describes God as an architect and builder of a city. You want to know what God likes to do with his spare time? Think sociology, architecture, and urban planning, and also construction. That's what God is like. Jesus, he wept over his friend Lazarus who died. Yes, he also wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus loves the city. When Jesus gave his marching orders to his first disciples, his marching orders were to stay in the city of Jerusalem in the disciple-making project. Following Jesus means learning to love what God loves, which means participating in what he's doing to be cultivators, to be renewers of our cities. And we believe this here at Door Creek. 
In fact, it's in our vision statement. I want to show this to you uh, and actually have us read it together. So whether you're online, I don't know if, if that's awkward for you, don't have to do it, I guess. But everyone in DeForest and here, you have to do it because everyone's watching. Uh, let's read our, our vision statement right here. By God's grace, we desire to be a Christ-centered church for all people where the power of the gospel is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. And we're coming to Acts chapter 16. And what we're going to discover is Paul and his crew coming to a city, one of the most significant cities in this, uh, this region called Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And they're going to start the, the world's first church on the European continent. And what we're going to see in this chapter are five kind of vignettes. They're going to show us some of the types of people and some of the types of systems that we encounter and what it looks like to reflect God's love for the city to be part of the renewal of the city. So five rhythms of city renewal. Here they are. I'll show them to you, and then we'll unpack each one. Number one is speak. We, we speak the gospel. Uh, another one is confront. We confront evil with the gospel demonstrate, we, we demonstrate the gospel, we live it out, critique, uh, so as people freed by the gospel, we critique the systems of the city, and finally gather, we gather around the gospel. So this is going to be a satellite overview, okay, we're covering a lot of ground, we're not going to be going through rabbit trails, we're going to be just getting the big picture, this is going to be really fun, I'm excited. Uh, so Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. Go ahead and meet me there. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll unpack what it looks like to speak the gospel in the city. Verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer, talking about where Jewish people would congregate when they were out, outside of Jerusalem. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, which is in modern-day Turkey, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. That was a big deal. It was a luxury item. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. So what's happening? Paul and his crew are going to Philippi. Remember last week we heard about this man of Macedonia in this vision saying, come and help us. And so Paul and his crew, they, they cross uh, the sea. They go to Philippi. It's a city of about 20,000 people. For us, it's a small town. For them, that was a pretty significant city. Uh, it was a big business hub. Uh, and it was a, a retirement community for retired Roman soldiers. And, and you can see Paul kind of navigating his way. I've got a picture of it here through the city. And there's all the sounds of urban life, you know, the, the merchants and the, uh, the, the livestock and, and all of that happening. And he makes his way to a river. It's this peaceful river. You can hear the wind blowing through the trees. And it's where Jewish people would gather to, to meet and, and encounter the God 
of Israel. And this, this woman, her name is Lydia, and we, we learn that she um, is a purveyor of purple cloth. Now, now that was a big deal because they had to get all those ingredients naturally, and so she was probably very wealthy. It kind of would be like if she was the CEO of like a luxury fashion item, like a Louis Vuitton kind of thing, and she had a manufacturing you know, factory or whatever in her hometown, and she was visiting her regional sales office in Philippi. That's, you kind of get the sense of, of what's happening. And, and we also learn that she's a worshiper of God, which is code for she's not a Jew, but she's longing for something, something that that she hopes uh, is there in these Hebrew scriptures and in this Jewish community. So she's like religious, you know, you get that sense, maybe even moral, but not Christian. And, and there's this hunger, there's this longing that, that is pushing her to the riverside. And, uh, and Paul is there and, and he says, basically, look, the whole Hebrew scriptures is pointing to Jesus, He's the one that you're longing for. You don't even know it yet. He's the one that you're longing for. That sin and guilt, that, that drive that you feel to fill that hole, Jesus is the answer. And, and, and the penny drops for Lydia. And it says that the Lord changed her heart. And we, we saw Paul speaking the gospel. And for a lot of us here that puts pressure on us, we're like, I don't know how to do that. That's hard to do. And, and here's what we need to realize this is really important. The Lord is the one who opened her heart. It wasn't the skill of Paul's speech. It was the Lord uh, who opened her heart. And how do you know when the Lord opens your hearts? Well, look at what happened with Lydia. She invited them to her home, and basically the center of her life became repurposed for something greater. She was invigorated with this new calling on her life. Everything about her money and her resources became about being the center for God's work in the city. And every one of us, as we, uh, as we seek to be renewers of our city, we're gonna encounter Lydia's. We're gonna encounter people of privilege, but without purpose. We're gonna encounter people who are religious, but not Christian. And so what do we do? We, we speak the gospel. We, speak, we tell the Jesus story. That, so that's the first rhythm. Now what's going to happen next is we're going to leave the peaceful riverbanks of the privileged and the moral, and we're going to find the agony of the oppressed. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to confront evil with the gospel. So join me uh, in, let's see here, verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Doesn't that make you feel better about yourself? <laughs> Dads. I'm just kidding. Uh, it was, his annoyance was holy. Yours isn't. Um. <laughs> he became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of, love this, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So what's happening here? Well, this is, a, this is another type of person that we meet in the city. 
If Lydia is the successful CS, uh, CEO, uh, you know, who has a, a, another house on University Avenue, this nameless slave girl is the drug-addicted prostitute who's kept in a ramshackle rental by her pimps. Like, you, you see what's happening here, right? And, and this is, we encounter this group of people in every single city we go to. Years ago, I had the privilege of uh, traveling uh, in India, kind of on a, on a missions trip, and we were in the, the city of Calcutta, which is a huge city, beautiful city, and we were in a train station. I was sitting on the platform, I just bought some mimosas, which, my gosh, you guys, mimosas here are good in Calcutta. They're like, blow, they blow your mind. And I was so hungry, and, and there's this group of kids that I saw walking around the platform. And, you know, we were white, so we stuck out like, like crazy, and, and the youngest girl of them, I have a picture of it here, she, she uh, walked away from her group, and she just kind of like was just there, just kind of looking at us, you know, just a cute little smile on her face. And I mean, I saw that she looked ragged, and I assumed she was probably hungry, and um, I, have this, I have this thing, you know, when I travel is I will try to, if I can't speak the language, I'll try to offer a gift before I take a picture and try to get permission. And so I offered this mimosa to her. And I was like, this, you have no idea what this is worth to me. But she took it. I, I was able to get this picture. But then I was surprised because she didn't eat the mimosa. She just walked around with it. I watched her for like 20 minutes. She just walked around collecting money from other travelers. And I realized something, because I, I learned later on that what happens in cities like Calcutta all over the world is often there will be um, men, usually men, who corral uh, orphan children, uh, and, and they, they begin to own them, and they, they dress them up like beggars, and then they'll often turn them into a money-making business. Guys, this, this happens all over the city. And as a dad, now that I'm a father, nothing makes me angrier than, than this reality. And it's happening right here in Madison, you guys. Right here in Madison. I'm so grateful for our law enforcement, for our detectives. I'm so grateful for leaders like Jen uh, Miyasaki from Project Respect, which is dealing with human trafficking and sex, sexual abuse right here in Madison. So grateful. And here's what happens. As we become renewers of our cities, one of the things we will have to learn to do is to confront evil. Whether it's demonic, spiritual evil, or, or social evil, we will have to become people who confront evil. Not with our power, but with the power of the gospel. Because notice, it, Paul didn't cast this demon out in his own name. He cast it out in the name of Jesus. And, and notice also that as he did that, uh, he was already in this rhythm of prayer. And here's what we have to know, is that if we're going to have any hope of being effective in confronting evil, we have to be rooted in prayer. Because the evil, the enemy, whether it's human or spiritual, is not weak and is not stupid. We have to become a people who are drinking from a deep well of prayer as we confront evil in our city. And we can't be naive about this, because what we're going to see next is that when we do that, we're going to poke a bear. And we have to be ready for what it costs. So join me 
in verse 19. This section is going to be the longest section, 19 all the way to 34. So just relax, see the movie in your head. It's a great story, and it's going to have profound impact on us today. Verse 19. Let me just take a sip of tea here for a second. Don't mind me. Talk amongst yourselves. This is a Christmas gift for my wife. Isn't it great? And what I love about it, it doesn't make slurpy sounds. I, don't, I love you. I don't want to give you slurpy sounds in this microphone. All right. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. You can hear the racism. These men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The stocks, by the way, were like two massive logs that were crushing down on their shins. It was, it was torture. It was torture. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, you think, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. This was an honor killing. He was dead anyway. Figured he might as well do it himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Love that. The guy who was putting them in, into a torture chamber was now washing their wounds. Uh, and he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So much here. So much here. But what I want us to focus on is what it looks like to demonstrate the gospel. To not, not just say the gospel, but to actually live it out. Because what happened here? Why did Paul and Silas get arrested? It had nothing to do with religion. Isn't that interesting? It had nothing to do with, with their belief. It had to do with the fact that they poked the economic system of the city. They disrupted the money flow of this kind of black market uh, crime syndicate. And what happens is, what unfortunately, sadly, does happen in cities, not all the time, but often, is you get a crime syndicate with government leaders in its payroll. And Paul disrupts this system. He pokes the bear. And what do they do? Not a fair trial, which he was owed as a Roman citizen. No, they, they basically try to lynch him. It's, it's a Klan rally. That, that's what's happening here. 
And demonstrating the gospel in our city means we have to be willing to bleed like Jesus. We have to be willing to bleed like Jesus on behalf of the victims and also on behalf of our enemies. We have to demonstrate the gospel. Uh, the jailer is actually a type of person that we discover in our cities. I mean, think about it. The jailer had a sword. Uh, there's no indication of the jailer like flinching or like he's used to the sound of emaciated men crying, right? He's used to this. Like he, he was probably a retired soldier. He's seen it all and he's just this hardened guy. He's, he's the retired vet that is at the bar with his elbows on the countertop at four in the afternoon with three glasses already empty in front of him. Like you see this here. This type of person in the city. Where, where Lydia needed a sermon, where the slave girl needed a show of power, the jailer, what he needs is proof. Because he doesn't give a rip about your religious beliefs. He doesn't. He's seen it all. And, and guys, this is so important. Demonstrating the gospel is, is critical because the reason your unchurched friends or family members refuse to come to church is because far too often Christians preach a message that they're not living. We have to be demonstrators of the gospel. And this means that they need to see us bleed. They need to see us sing when other people cry or complain. Uh, this, and this, this was not just here. It, actually, this is a big part of our legacy as a Christian people. Uh, a few hundred years after this in, in Athens, which wasn't too far away, a plague went through. And what happened is all the Greeks, all the pagans of Athens, they left town. Be they even abandoned, like this is recorded all over history, they abandoned family members. Why? Because Self-preservation, right? They didn't want to get themselves sick. But what happened, and historians write about this and they're baffled, is the Christians in Athens stayed. They invited non-believing strangers into their homes to care for them, and many of them died to pay for it. And what happened after that is you got the Roman emperor going, why are these Christians more compassionate, loving, and tougher than nails when our Greeks are running away? We have to be people who demonstrate the gospel, which means showing people something they've never seen before, singing while suffering, staying and caring for enemies when it would be so much easier to leave. So much more we could talk about there, but that's the rhythm of demonstrating the gospel. And, and what this next section is one that never gets preached on. I've, I try to find a message on it. There's nothing, I couldn't find a single one. Uh, but it's so, so important. As a people who have been freed by the gospel, we have to be a people who can critique. Critique the system. Critique our leaders in a way that doesn't alienate us. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, verse 35, meet me there. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. <laughs> the jailer told Paul, hey, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. You can go. Uh, you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, Ahem. it's not in the text, but it's, it's there. <laughs> they beat us publicly without a trial. 
even though we are Roman citizens, and you can hear the whole room gasp, and threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. What we realize here is that the magistrates, which is basically a sheriff and a judge in the town, they, they broke the law. They, they shortcutted due process. Uh, and this happens all the time in cities. And I love, I, hear me, you, you who work in government, I love you, pray for you, but we all know that this happens. And, and Paul and Silas, what they did is instead of just leaving, you know, peacefully, they took an opportunity to critique the system. They critiqued the system. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, said, be salt and light. You remember that passage in the book of Matthew? Uh, Light is about shining light on Jesus, illuminating Jesus. Salt is about preservation. So back in the the age without refrigeration, uh, one of the ways that you you would preserve meat is by curing it, which involves putting salt on it. And being salt means that we are preserving our city. We're we're keeping it from rotting. And and this is part of what it looks like to critique the system. In Jeremiah 29.7, God told his people living, like they were prisoners of war living in Babylon, torn out from their homeland. And God said, live for the good of the people of Babylon. That's that's insane. That's mind-blowing. Live for its good, which means using every part of our citizenship, both our citizenship in heaven, which is our ultimate citizenship, but also our citizenship here in our cities, using every part of that to make the city a more livable place for everybody, especially for those who don't have a voice. And one thing that I hear about a lot of well-intentioned Christians who love Jesus and love the Bible is, hey, why don't churches just stick to the gospel? Stop all this social justice stuff. Just stick with the gospel. But what this is saying to us, I believe, is that Christians really should be coming more and more civically concerned and civically engaged more than anybody else. And, and some of us, you know, you have opportunities to join a school board. Do it. And that might take some sacrifice. Do it. Be a voice in the city. Uh, Some of us, you know, you've been feeling the nudge of God to run for office. Man, we want to pray for you. Pray with you through that process. Uh, For some of us, it's, you know, it's going to those zoning meetings or just getting, you know, out of your couch or out of your schedule to get to the voting booth or whatever. It's sometimes celebrating what's good and sometimes it's also speaking up to what's not. It's not about controlling people, and it's definitely not about shoving Christian ethics down the throats of non-Christian people. That is not going to work. It's not going to do us any favors. But it is about a kind of graceful activism, critiquing the systems and the, the leaders in our city, working for the good of everyone in the city, and holding the city accountable. You guys doing okay? How about you, DeForest? We have one more. We have one more. Uh, it's, it's in verse, um, verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, went back to Lydia's house, where they met, this is, this, listen to this language, they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. You know, we can, 
We can do all of these rhythms to, to be part of the renewal of our city. But if we don't gather on a regular basis as the people, as with the believers in the city, it, the movement is never going to last. I mean, just picture this. Let's just say you're walking by Lydia's house. It's this big old house with a big old courtroom, courtyard. And you hear singing. And you smell food being cooked. And you, you poke your head around the corner. And to your shock, there are women and men. There are Jewish people and Gentile people. There are Europeans and Palestinians. There are slaves and soldiers, rich and poor, singing songs to Jesus. I mean, how, like, Philippi had never seen anything like this. And now they were growing together, not as, not as some civic movement or some activist group, but as a family brought together, adopted into the family of God because of Jesus. And when Jesus said, you are, not you need to try to become, you are a city on a hill, what he was saying is, you, the, the church, you are a new kind of city gathering in the city for the city. You are going to provide a jaw-dropping alternative community that the world has never seen before. So keep at it. Don't forsake the gathering together. Here's the reality. Five rhythms, no one can do all of these at once. It's, it, the, doing these rhythms is as complicated and complex as the city is complicated and complex. And city renewal takes time. So this means that week in and week out, as we gather together, growing deeper in the gospel, that is the thing that's going to help this movement last. I'm so grateful to be a pastor in a community with a vision for city renewal. So grateful for those of you who are doing the work in the city, who are speaking the gospel, who are confronting evil, who are demonstrating the gospel, who are critiquing the, the systems and the leaders in our city. So grateful. And some of us, some of us have a, an opportunity right now to change the way we relate to the city. Some of us, it's really been about fear or ambition. It's been about desire or disgust. It's, it's been about indifference or just kind of angry activism. And Jesus invites us to become cultivators in our city. Bree and I got our first house uh, almost five years ago in DeForest, Wisconsin. We love it. DeForest has a downtown. This is great. People are like, oh, downtown DeForest. You mean, oh, the pick and save? <laughs> where the, the post office is. We love it. We love it. You know, I, I can drive to work and see the Capitol from my office window and also smell that dairy air, you know, those certain times of year. It's great. 15 minutes away from world-class coffee and some of the best educational systems in our country. And, and as much as I appreciate, you know, our city, God's love is far deeper than that. And some of us have been commuters, you know, and, and some of us have been kind of, you know, like, we, we like the, where we live, but it's, you know, we're kind of indifferent to it. We're not really aware of what's happening. We're not weeping over the broken parts of our city like Jesus does. And, and God might be nudging you right now just to fall more deeply in love with your city. 
Some of us here are clingers. You know, and, and you're here and it's a miracle and I'm so glad you're here. And you've been hanging by a thread and you might see the city and its systems as kind of your salvation. Now, I just want to say, as important as those things are, Jesus is your salvation. Trust in him alone and join the family. You matter way more than society says that you matter. You're not a burden, you're a gift. Join the city within the city. And you crunchy critics out there love you so much. I kind of am you, I think. Um, don't mistake a desire for independence for, with self-righteousness. Just be careful about that. There's nothing wrong with wanting space and health for your family, but, but I would just ask, don't abandon the city. Don't abandon the city. And I get it. I get it. Right now, it's like the idea of raising chickens is so great, especially with, you know, my, my wife asked me to take her somewhere expensive. I took her to the the egg carton area of the grocery store not too long ago. I get it. I believe in you, crunchy critics. Don't abandon the city. And those of us who are consumers, don't, don't confuse your infatuation with the city has to offer you with, an, with a sacrificial love for the city. And so how do we begin? Let's just begin with prayer. Uh, Jesus taught us this prayer uh, it, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's in our Bibles. You probably know it well. Uh, I'm going to show you the words. There's this phrase. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this message by filling in where it says on earth. I want you to fill it in with the place where you live. So let's stand up together. Let's stand up together. DeForest, go ahead and stand up. If you're able to stand wherever you're watching us, go ahead and join us. And let's pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in DeForest as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Lord, we want your kingdom to come, your, your will to be done. We want your renewal and forgiveness and healing in our, our postal system, in our healthcare system, in our, uh, our fire department and police departments, in our, our education systems. Lord, we, we long for your will to be done in our families, in our neighborhoods, in Madison and McFarland and Morrisonville and Middleton and everywhere else in between. Come, Lord Jesus, renew our city and use us in the process. And we love you. Amen.